This weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering all players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the weekend. If Daily Fantasy isn't for you, make sure you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and get your picks on your favorite fighters for the UFC 261 event. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the weekend. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I am riding solo here, at least for the first couple of minutes, to recap the Pittsburgh Penguins versus New Jersey Devils game that happened on Tuesday. Of course, a Penguins victory by a score of 7-6, to so I will get into that to start off this show and then in the second segment, I will be joined, as always, by Nick Horwat as we go through our Seattle Kraken Expansion Mock Draft 2.0. We had the Expansion Mock Draft 1.0 in our Season 2 premiere, so listen in as we give our updated protected list for the Pittsburgh Penguins and talk about who the Penguins might be losing to the Seattle Kraken come the 2021 expansion draft and then after that we will be joined for an interview by the one and only hunter hodes of the locked on penguins podcast he will join the show to talk a little bit about the pittsburgh penguins going into the postseason and how important positioning is in the standings for the penguins and so much more so stay tuned for that and then of course it is a thursday episode so we will close it out with our shout-outs and call-out segment. Probably one of the most unified shout-outs and call-outs of all time. So stay tuned for a special shout-outs and call-outs at the end of this episode. But I want to get us started talking about that crazy, crazy game that many of us watched and a lot of us tried to avert our eyes from on Tuesday night. The Penguins ended up taking the two points. They won by a score of seven to six, but it should not have ended off as close as it did. Let's start from the beginning where we have a lot of positives to say, and then we'll work our way to the negatives, which was the entirety of the third period. But let's start off with where the Penguins started off in the first period. Mike Matheson, just 349 in, started the scoring for the Pittsburgh Penguins with a bomb of a shot from the point. Jared McCann and Jeff Carter were in front. Neither of them got a tip on it so Mike Matheson officially gets the goal his fifth of the season and from there the Pittsburgh Penguins kind of took off they controlled the pace of play they controlled the puck basically the entire time and a couple minutes later about eight minutes and four seconds into the first period 
Jake Gensel takes a tip lead pass from Chris Letang in his own zone, tips it up to Crosby, and Crosby sends a cross-ice pass geometrically, according to Brian Rust, off of the boards to Rust's stick, and Rust is able to get in using his speed, go from backhand to forehand, and beat Scott Wedgwood for an absolutely beautiful sequence. The Penguins' first line is clicking on all cylinders. That is Jake Gensel's 27th assist of the season, Sidney Crosby's 34th, and Brian Rust's 18th goal of the season. The Penguins' first line is definitely going to be a line to look out for coming into the playoffs. They have been able to click on all cylinders. They pretty much score a goal a game at this point of the season. The only time that I can really think going back that they didn't score was on Sunday against the Buffalo Sabres, but it seems that they have their footprint on basically every single game the Penguins play, and they're pretty defensively responsible, albeit not in the third period of this game, but nobody really was defensively responsible in the third period of this game, but we'll get to that like I said. A couple seconds after that, 45 seconds after that to be exact, Tristan Jari headmans the puck to Brian Dumoulin, and Dumoulin takes it from his own zone to the red line, where he just backhands the puck, kind of harmlessly, into the devil's end. It looked like it was just going to be played by Scott Wedgwood off to the side. Pretty nothing play, but a crazy bounce. And Brian Dumoulin continues his hot streak of scoring points. That is his third goal in the season. I couldn't believe it. I was still texting, not texting, excuse me, but tweeting about the Brian Rust goal, and I look up and the puck is in the back of the net. I don't even have time to realize what happened, and then seeing the replay, that's just a bad look for Scott Wedgwood, and it's just how the devil's luck has been this season. They've had a rough year when it comes to COVID outbreaks and the injury of Nico Heashier. He did play in this game, but he's not played very often for the New Jersey Devils, and that was just kind of a microcosm of, I feel like, how their season has gone. So, Quickly there, not even 10 minutes into the game, it is 3-0 in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins, a spot that the Devils had been in several times last week to the New York Rangers, and it looked again to be a really bad night for New Jersey, and the Penguins up 3-0. They were not done in the first period, however. Late in the first period, 17 minutes and 56 seconds in, Jeff Carter gets his first goal as a Pittsburgh Penguin. The puck kind of bounced around a little bit. Jared McCann wasn't able to corral it, kind of overskated it, and it just settled down right in the slot for Jeff Carter, who winds up and sends a knuckle puck past Scott Wedgwood, and all of a sudden the Penguins are up 4 to nothing. Assist go to McCann and Chris Letang, and the Pittsburgh Penguins head into the first intermission up 4 to nothing. Now, at this point in time, if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, you're feeling real good about yourself. The team is coming off of a loss to the lowly Buffalo Sabres, so you wanted to see kind of a reaction and a response to that. And the Penguins provided that in the first period. Going up 4 to nothing. it was a really good start for them. Tristan Jari looked fairly sound, even though he didn't face too many shots in that first period because the Penguins overall defended extremely well. They were great on the puck. Their forecheck was extremely impressive in that first period, and it led to a 4-0 lead, and it was something that the fans watching at home could appreciate, and it was something that we saw the fans at PPG Paints Arena definitely appreciated as they gave the team a standing ovation with their way off the ice. It, it was great to see, and you kind of felt good as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan watching that, 
heading down this stretch of the final 11 games of the season because of how close this East division is. So there it is. After one period of play, the Penguins up four to nothing going into the second period. And you just look at it and say, all right, just keep your foot on the gas pedal. Don't let the Devils back into this game. You should be able to control the outcome of this game and shut this one down. And in the second period, the Penguins were able to continue to do that. Just about a minute and 12 seconds in, Evan Rodriguez with an absolutely nasty pass finds Teddy Bluger, who has a wide open net. Bluger nets it for his sixth of the season. Ashton Reese also picks up an assist there. Those two players, and we'll talk about a little bit in the interview with Hunter Hodes. Teddy Bluger and Zach Aston Reese are having great offensive seasons for fourth line players. And yes, they are fourth line players, even though they've technically been the Penguins third line for a while now due to injuries. These guys are fourth line players if you want to deploy them correctly. And both of them are now having career seasons offensively, which means Teddy Bluger and Zach Aston Reese are the perfect players for the Penguins fourth line. And right now, Evan Rodriguez has done a really good job slotting into that line ever since the acquisition of Jeff Carter kind of bounced him off that second line. He has fit in really well with Bluger and Aston Reese, and he's kind of taken over the role that Brandon Tanev left whenever he left with an upper body injury. We don't know when Tanev is going to come back, but I'm pretty comfortable personally with Evan Rodriguez on that line the way that we've seen him play. He had a goal on Saturday against the Buffalo Sabres. He played a pretty decent game on Sunday, whereas most of the team was not playing all that well. And then he had this assist on the Teddy Bluger goal that was absolutely phenomenal. And as I say that, 15 minutes later, he nets a goal of his own. Evan Rodriguez gets his seventh goal of the season, assisted by Jason Zucker on a pretty pass out to get his fifth assist. John Marino picks up the second apple, and that was on the power play. So the Penguins at this point, with about five minutes remaining in the second period, held a 6 to nothing lead over the New Jersey Devils, they owned the game up to this point. And they owned the game throughout the last five minutes of the period. Really weren't giving much up throughout that time. And they were up six to nothing with about three minutes left in the period. And then a little sequence happens with Chris Letang. Letang was hit extremely hard by Nathan Bastian. And it was a clean hit. It was a completely clean hit, but it was a hard hit. And he definitely rocked Letang who did get a little bit of contact to the head. Most of it was between his head and the boards, and I think he also got a little bit of Bastion's uh, glove there at the tail end of it. But it was a clean hit, and it kind of shook Chris Letang up. And his response to that was a little bit later in the period, about a shift later, he goes after Miles Wood. And he gets a penalty for... I believe it was hooking Miles Wood or, or holding or hooking. I'm not exactly sure what the exact call was, but he takes a bad penalty late in the second period. Now, the Penguins are up 6 to nothing. That is not a good play by somebody who's supposed to be a leader on your team in Chris Letang. And I do understand a little bit his frustration. Listen, Chris Letang came into the league back in the 2008 season. When you still had guys like Craig Adams in the league, he wasn't with the Penguins at this point yet in 2008. You had guys like Craig Adams in the league. You had guys like George LaRock that were still in the league where if that hit was made on a player like Chris Letang back whenever he came into the league, somebody was at least saying something to Nathan Bastian. But the way the league has progressed since then, 
and the way the league is now and the way this team is right now, there's nobody on the Penguins team at this moment that was going to go up to Nathan Bastian and get into it with him or even say something to him. Maybe Crosby would have, to be completely honest, but you also don't want to see Crosby getting in somebody's face and fighting somebody with 11 games until the playoffs start. I know Brandon Tanev probably would have been there if he was in the lineup, but unfortunately he is still out due to injury. But nobody stood up for Chris Letang in that moment after he got rocked in his own zone. Like I said, clean hit. You don't have to go and fight him automatically, but you would think that a player, a good teammate, would go up and say something, but I guess that's just where the league is at this point, and that's just where this team is at this point, where there's nobody that's really going to go and do that. And that might have gotten under Latang's skin, where he thought that he had to do something. And he picked out the wrong guy in Miles Wood, because Miles Wood is not the guy that hit him, and he took a bad penalty late in the period. That ends up coming back to bite the Penguins in the butt. And we'll get to that in a second. But at this moment, the Penguins are up 6-0. Yes, Chris Latang took a bad penalty with about 10 seconds left in the period. He left down the runway, so we didn't know if he was actually injured or if he was just walking down the runway because we were out of time in the second period. Luckily, at the beginning of the third period, Chris Letang came out, went into the penalty box to serve his penalty. That was a sigh of relief for all of Penguins Twitter because just prior to all of this going down at the end of the second, somebody on the broadcast said that it's been nice that the Penguins have been able to at least stay healthy on the back end as of recently. I'm pretty sure most people that are superstitious, which are most Penguins fans at this point, had to find wood to knock on because the way the Penguins injury system works, you don't start getting comfortable and you definitely don't say anything like that because you're just bringing bad juju to the entire team. Luckily, Chris Letang was able to come out to begin the third period, went in to serve his penalty, and then unfortunately, the Penguins take yet another penalty, putting them down a five-on-three advantage. And from there, you basically knew how that was going to go. Nico Heischer is able to score the goal 41 seconds in, and I even tweeted this out on the Iceberg Podcast Twitter account. I said, well, there goes the shutout. Because at to that point, Justin Jari had been pretty solid. And unfortunately, on a five-on-three, you give up a goal 41 seconds into the third. It's still six-to-one. You should not be worried at that moment in time that a team that is on the brink of elimination from a playoff spot with still two and a half weeks to go is not going to come back from a six to one deficit. They almost came back from a three to nothing deficit against the Rangers last week, but six to nothing against a team that is playing the way that the Penguins had in the first 40 minutes. You weren't expecting that to even be a possibility at this point, even though we all know that the New Jersey Devils are a young team that is going to fight till their last breath because they're trying to impress Tom Fitzgerald. They're trying to impress Lindy Ruff going into next season, trying to shore up their spots for next season. And that's why they play that way. They're going to play that way on Thursday night. They're going to play that way on Saturday afternoon. So we better be ready for that if we're the Pittsburgh Penguins because they're going to come out flying and the Penguins need these wins against the New Jersey Devils, especially with series coming up against the Boston Bruins and against the Washington Capitals. So back to the game here, 6-1 to one at this point. About five minutes later, Igor Sharangovich takes the puck on a penalty kill off of a bad Chris Letang turnover again. Once he got hit by Nathan Bastian, his night 
went way into the crapper. He made a very bad pass on the power play, trying to get cute with it when the Penguins are already up by a score of 6-1 to one, with only 15 minutes left in the game. Gets a little bit selfish, tries to make a cute pass. Igor Sharangovich, who has had a really good first season for the New Jersey Devils, takes it, beats Chris Letang. Letang is able to honestly almost catch up to him and make a good play on it, but Sharangovich just puts a shot on net and Tristan Jari misplays it completely. He was completely out of position. And all of a sudden, you're five minutes in, and your lead has been cut by a third. It is six to two. At this point, it seems like the Devils have some life in them. And a couple minutes later, they continue that. Nathan Bastian, who kind of started this all with the hit on Chris Letang, he puts in his third goal of the season, assisted to Butcher and Miles Wood, who seems to always get on the score sheet against the Pittsburgh Penguins. There was some talk about Miles Wood being available at the trade deadline. Just for the sure fact of him not being able to score on us, I kind of wish he would have been traded. And he honestly would have been a great piece for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but the Penguins definitely did not have enough to pry him from New Jersey. And here he is continuing to get on the score sheet against the Pittsburgh Penguins. He gets an assist on the Bastion goal. All of a sudden, it's 6-3, to three, and not even halfway through the third, and your six-goal lead has been cut in half. Luckily, as I talked about the first line a little bit earlier, in the show, the first line is able to go out and deliver what would somehow turn out to be the game-winning goal. Brian Rust was able to feed Jake Gensel, who was able to send it over to Sidney Crosby in what has become his office. Below the left circle, at a near-impossible angle, this one was a little bit more realistic than some of the goals that he has scored from that angle. And Sidney Crosby absolutely snipes Aaron Dell, who I guess I should have mentioned came in for... Scott Wedgwood after the first period. So Crosby comes in, snipes Aaron Dell, makes it 7-3, a beautiful goal. Sid's 18th of the season. And the Penguins go up 7-3, and you think at that point, all right, they pushed back. They've regained their footing. They were able to, to blow back on the New Jersey Devils. It's time for them to kind of start shutting this game down and sealing up the two points. Well, that was far from the truth. Just over a minute later, Jack Hughes, the former first overall pick, nets one past Tristan Jari. Again, kind of a weak goal to allow for Jari, who was having a struggle of a third period there. Hughes' 10th assisted to Sharon Govich and Kwokanen. And then again, just over a minute later, as if this wasn't bad enough that is now 7-4, Nolan Foote scores his first ever NHL goal assisted to Merkley and Severson, and now you're looking at this as a Pens fan and you're saying, uh-oh, it's 7-5 to five right now. Yeah, we still have a two-goal lead with just about six minutes to play, but Tristan Jari can't save a puck. And the defense isn't helping out either. And that forecheck that was so evident in the first period has absolutely evaporated here in the third. And as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, this is scary. You had a 6 to nothing lead. You've been outscored 5-1 to one in the third period alone in just 13 minutes and 56 seconds of play. It is absolutely awful what we are watching in the third period at that point. On bated breath, we watch, and I continue to watch. In the third period, now Arendelle is out of the net. The Devils are pulling their goalie. They need to make up two more goals. They dump the puck in. 
Tristan Jari tries to catch the puck, and we all know exactly what he was trying to do in that instance. He went to catch the puck and just missed it, and it bounced in front of him. We know he was trying to catch the puck to have the opportunity to shoot the puck down at the empty net to try to get the empty net goal, and that was kind of a theme in the third period. Padding the stats, trying to be too cute, not making the easy play like they did in the first two periods, which is what got them the 6-0 lead in the be to begin with. So Jari tries to get the empty netter, which eventually, and I said it a couple episodes ago, I feel like Tristan Jari is going to get an empty netter at some point this season. And he was looking for it on Tuesday night. But at that moment, the way the game had gone, the way the team had played in that period, that is a selfish and that is a dangerous move. And we see what happens a little bit later. Because he turns the puck over, and in that same sequence, the Devils send it behind the net. Jari tries to play the puck once again, because that's what he does. He does play the puck usually very well. Although, in the third period, it, it wasn't well. He turns the puck over, again, trying to make a play with his stick and trying to make a pass. And when he's trying to recover into the net, Andreas Janssen of the New Jersey Devils sends it in from below the goal line. And all of a sudden, with less than a minute left, with only 41 seconds left, the game is at a 7-6 score. The Devils were not done. They still had a couple opportunities in the last 40 seconds of the game. But luckily, the time ran out. Because if there was another two minutes in that game, I guarantee you, the New Jersey Devils were tying it. But the time ran out. The Penguins win 7-6. They get the two points. They eliminate the New Jersey Devils from playoff contention in the meantime. And everybody can exhale. Mike Sullivan was not happy. I don't think he had any idea what he just witnessed. I didn't have any idea what I just witnessed. Horwat didn't have any idea what he just witnessed. And here, I'll, I'll read you what he sent to me last night. He wanted this to be on recording. So he wanted to mention about that game. And I'll read this directly from my text messages. Quote, I've never been so upset with a win. What in the actual hell was that? That is exactly what he tweeted me, or not tweeted me, texted me immediately following the game. And I, I mean, that kind of just covers it perfectly. What was that? Tristan Jari gave up six goals on 11 shots in the third period. I understand you were up six to nothing, but once he gave up that third goal in the first 10 minutes of the third period, I'm not sure why Mike Sullivan doesn't put in Casey DeSmith. The way that the game was going, if he scored three goals and they were three good goals for the Devils and you couldn't really stop him and the play was back and forth, then I get it. It's not his fault and you want to keep him in for the win and you're still up by three. But he allowed two pretty weak goals at least. I won't hold the five-on-three goal against him. But he allowed two pretty weak goals against Igor Sharangovich and Nathan Bastian. And the team was not playing good in front of him either. The defense was falling apart. The forwards were not back-checking or forechecking nearly as much as they had been. I'm not exactly sure why you don't go with Casey DeSmith to stop the bleeding there. But I'm not the coach. And the coach decided to stick with it and... We got the result that we got. A 7-6 victory in game one of what will be a three-game series to finish out our matchups against the New Jersey Devils for the season. 
if the Devils can pick up anywhere from where they left off here on Tuesday, the Penguins are going to have a hard time responding on Thursday to get the win. And it is very important, especially going over this weekend, that the Pittsburgh Penguins get these next two wins against the New Jersey Devils because on Sunday, the red-hot Boston Bruins will be waiting for them. And also, over the weekend, there's a three-game set between the Islanders and the Capitals that are going to mean a whole lot for seeding in the playoffs. And if the Penguins can get wins this weekend while those two teams have to face off against each other, it is going to help tremendously going into the last couple of weeks of the season. Where we sit right now, as of this very moment, the Penguins are in third place in the, Met in, sorry, not the Metropolitan Division, the Mass Mutual East Division. But they're still only one point off of both the Islanders and the Capitals for first place. So not only is home ice advantage within reach, first place in the division is within reach which is very important because the Penguins need home ice advantage. And I won't get too much into it because we also talk about that with Hunter Hodes in our interview coming up. But yeah, that's the game from Tuesday. A lot to unpack there. 23 minutes worth of content to unpack there. It is a win. And we've said it several times throughout this season on this show that it only matters how many not by how. And the Penguins got the two points. In regulation, which is going to be even big looking at the standings as well. Regulation wins are going to be huge. So the Penguins get a regulation win. They don't ask how, they ask how many. And that's exactly what the Penguins did. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Horwat will be joining me. And we will be going through our expansion mock draft for the Seattle Kraken here on the tip of the iceberg. And then a little bit later, we'll be joined by Hunter Hodes of the Locked On Penguins podcast. And we'll close it all out with our shout-outs and call-outs. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. We're back on Season 2, Episode 40 of the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. We still have that interview with Hunter Hodes coming up in a little bit, but right now what we'd like to do is do our Seattle Expansion Mock Draft 2.0. The Kraken are prepared to become the 32nd team in the NHL. They've had scouts at the Pittsburgh Penguins game. They've had scouts at a lot of games across the NHL this season. And we're here to show you our protected list for the Pittsburgh Penguins for the upcoming mock draft. Now, we did do one of these already. It was on Season 2, Episode 1, the Season 2 premiere. So go back and listen to that. We actually had the same exact protected list on that day. We'll see if we're any different. I know by looking at the list from that day, mine is actually different. So we'll see what we have going on here. Of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins can do one of two things when it comes to protecting players for the upcoming draft. It is either a seven forwards, three defensemen, one goaltender, or you can get eight forwards slash defensemen and a goaltender. So it's a matter of which one you want to choose. And of course, all no movement and no trade clauses have to be protected. And I did clear this up since the last time, Horwat. John Marino is exempt from the expansion draft this year. Yeah, that's that. That's good because that definitely takes away a uh, protection. And when it comes down to it, that might change the selection process for me. It definitely changed it for me a little bit. I thought I was going to do one of a couple things, knowing that for sure. But 
We'll get into it right now. Of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins do have three no-movement clauses on their roster. It is Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang. Pretty obvious there that even if they didn't have no-move clauses, the Penguins were going to decide to keep them and protect them anyway. But those three spots are already off the board, two forwards and a defenseman. But let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's start with goalie because it's the pretty easy one. I have Tristan Jari protected. I would assume that you do as well. Absolutely, we have Jari protected. It's the obvious choice. Now, it sucks that we do have to leave Casey DeSmith out there, but the good thing that I see when I look at the list of unprotected people who we'll get to in a minute is there's a good list of people and we only have to lose one. Yeah, it's it's the it's a different decision this year because we because we know that they're not going to be taking a goalie from us because yeah, Casey DeSmith is a great goalie, but unless that's their goal is to specific cuz for some reason they may specifically want Casey DeSmith, they're not going to take him because that's just how this works. Whenever Vegas did their draft and they were doing good when the team started calling themselves the Golden Misfits, the guys that no one wanted. They weren't the that's I'm just going to go off on a tangent for a minute. These weren't those weren't guys that their team that the teams didn't want. I mean, some of them, yeah, because they decided to fork over an extra player so some so the Vegas Golden Knights could take them. But they weren't all misfits. They were just guys that the teams really had no choice but to just leave exposed because of the way the rules were set. They weren't misfits. So in this situation, again, just because we're not protecting them doesn't mean that we don't want them on this team. Yeah, it is really a small number of players that you're allowed to keep. You're basically allowed to keep your core and maybe one or two other players. And then everybody else is exposed where Seattle can just cherry pick who they want to start their franchise with from your team. Exactly. That's how it goes. It's it's a weird situation, but it's not th- it's not us saying, hey, just take them. We don't care. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because it, as much as it would sting to have Casey DeSmith taken, because the Penguins right now are very young and goaltender behind him. It's a lot of prospects that still have a lot of time before they're ready for the NHL game. I don't think Seattle's really eyeing up a 29-year-old backup. Albeit having a very good season, I don't think he's on their radar, especially once we get down to talking about the other players that will be available, at least to our standards there. So let's go to defense. Hora, let me ask you first and foremost, are you going with the eight skaters, one goalie, or are you going with the seven forwards, three D and one goalie? Uh, I think I'm going with the eight skaters. Really? Okay. So you're not specifying between defense and forward as seven and three. You're going with just the straight eight skaters. Yeah, I think so. Cause, um, yeah, when it comes down to it, I'm only protecting two defensemen, and one of them we already discussed is Chris Letang. I would imagine the other guy is Brian Dumoulin. Yes, he is, and that's mostly because John Marino is obviously exempt. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going with the defensemen. Um, it, again, it's not that we don't want these guys, but it's this is a team that the way our defense is built, Cody Cece's got one year left. Let's be real, I kind of don't want to resign him. He had one good year. Who knows when those wheels fall off? Um, I, when it comes to Mike Matheson, I don't think we planned on protecting him. I think he's just a, well, we screwed up. Oh, someone, uh, an old regime screwed up with this. Someone can take him if they really want him that bad. We don't need to have him. Uh, John Marino's exempt. Pedersen. I mean, we talked about trading Pedersen all year. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. We signed him to a good, to a pretty good deal, but we talked about trading him all year. Do you really think we're going to protect the guy that was on the block from when was puck drop? January January 13th yeah it's 
that would just be weird. I mean, I could see us doing it. Don't get me wrong, but that mm-hmm. just seems like a weird situation. And then everyone else is just kind of obvious. I mean, yeah, you love Rui. Yeah, what what the hell happened to Ricola? But they're they're not guys you protect. You know, they're guys that you leave exposed because you don't have any other choice. I I definitely understand the protection of Brian Dumlin. And actually, on my mock draft, I also have Brian Dumlin protected for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, he's only 29 years old. It feels like he should be a little bit closer to Chris Letang's age in 34, but he's only 29. That's a still relatively young. That's latter stage of his prime, really, for Brian Dumlin. And he's showing it this year, having a great season. He's on a pretty good deal when it comes to his salary cap hit and the percentage of his salary cap against the rest of the team. So clearly, I think Brian Dumlin is an easy mark there for the Pittsburgh Penguins to protect and GM Ron Hextall. And even so, we talked about a little bit going into the trade deadline. Listen, if the Penguins weren't in the spot that they were in and the Penguins were looking to rebuild, Brian Dumlin is one of their top trade pieces because of everything I just said. He's having a great year. He's a multi-time Stanley Cup champion. He is the number one defensive defenseman in the Penguins organization. And if you go back into history, he's also high up there when it comes to defensive defensemen. So yeah, he is a pretty good trade piece, but right now the Penguins aren't looking to trade anything away. They're still buyers at this moment. So they're going to need Brian Dumlin ushering in the end of the Crosby era for sure. And I ended up going with seven forwards, three defensemen. I protected Marcus Pedersen. And I understand that, yeah, we had him in trade talks earlier in the season, but here's the thing. If you have a trade piece, why give it away for free? And he is a decent trade piece still. He's young. He is having a bad season. I understand that. But he still has a lot of potential going forward. He's got to be better than he was this year. He's starting to play a little bit better in the latter half of the season alongside John Marino. And yeah, his contract is a little rough. But at the same time, you look at that and say, he's one of our top six defensemen. And with Cody Cece probably on his way out, being an unrestricted free agent and probably commanding a little bit more money than we paid him to play this year. Pedersen's going to be one of those guys that's going to need to stay there to fill it uh, to fill it out until a guy like P.O. Joseph's ready to make the league, until a guy like Mark Friedman can stay in the league consistently. So I have Marcus Pedersen saved as well, so that rounds out my defense with Latang Dumlin, and Pedersen, knowing that you have only Latang and Dumlin saved up as well. So one flaw I'm noticing about my system, I mean, protecting Patterson makes sense. This is I'd never really realized this, but you basically get to protect two extra players if you do the do it the other way. Yep. Well, I messed up, but hey, I'm gonna advance on and uh, I'll throw in Patterson to a protection as well because I do want because the way I'm looking at my list, I do want to protect another forward. So mm-hmm. Let me check. A uh, switch up is necessary. Yeah. Because the John Marino thing is very confusing. I want to say that now. Because when does technically his second year end? His second professional year? After this season. But is I think like you right have to have the... started a third one. I'm not exactly sure the ins and outs. I, I'm i just banking on Cap Friendly who says that he's exempt. So I, I trust Cap Friendly in that, in that instance. That's totally fair. It's just because it is. I mean, it is after this season. So I guess if he is exempt now, he will be exempt then. That sounds about right. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm looking at the rules, and I just realized you really do get, like, two, basically two extra players here mm-hmm. uh, with the seven. So I'll throw Patterson in there as well just because, um, yeah, I have another forward that I was just going to leave out, but um, so be it. Now I can protect him. Yeah, double-checking this, it is that is correct. It seems a little weird that you can say, okay, you can protect eight forwards slash defensemen and a goalie if you – don't want to protect three full defensemen, but 
otherwise you have still two more players that you get to protect. So it is a yeah. weird system. And I think we mentioned that around the beginning of the Vegas draft, that that's a weird option to give people, but that's the one they give. So you're protecting Pedersen as well and going with the seven and three. Let me double check my defenseman, but I believe so because yeah, because you said Latang, Dumlin, and Pedersen as well. So that I will say, when it comes to not protecting Pedersen, my point, I still do stand by my point. Like we had him on the block all year. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you really doing there? Yeah, but um, that's how that's gonna go. Because again, Matheson, you kind of a mistake. CC, I really don't see coming back. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, that just depends on how much management really like CC too. So where we're at now is we both have five forwards left to protect on the Pittsburgh Penguins. We've protected our defensemen. We've protected our goaltender. We've covered our no movement clauses. We have five forwards left to choose from to protect from the Seattle expansion. I think the easy thing to do is protect Jake Gensel. He's definitely the next in line to be protected for this team. Definitely because he has a pretty good contract. He just produces at an all-star level as he has again this season on pace for 40 goals if it was a normal 82-game season. And he's the next guy to me right now. He is the next leader for that secondary group of Pittsburgh Penguins. You have the leadership group of Crosby, Latang, Dumlin, Malkin, but then that next era, which is the Brian Rusts, the Jake Gensels, the Jared McCanns, I feel like Gensel is definitely at the head of that table. Yeah, absolutely. Jake Gensel is um, the easy next up to protect because of, you know, the way he plays. He is kind of the future of this team, kind of the future old soul on the team in a few years. So um, he is the easy choice for uh, next up protection. After that, I feel like right underneath him is Brian Rust. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but I definitely, you know, Rust almost being a 30 goal scorer last year, still on a pretty torrid pace this season as well playing on the right side of Sidney Crosby. He's a first liner on this team. So I think it's pretty obvious that Ron Hextall is going to choose to protect him. Yeah, that was my second one as well. Uh, Brian Russ is an easy option. So uh, for all the same reasons, he's playing phenomenally. He's a goal scorer and he's really coming into his own in this league. So we have three spots left. Horwat, give me one of those spots and who you filled him with. I'll give you one of the three. I filled with Kasperi Kapanen. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, yeah, so people were upset about the trade at the beginning of the season or before the season. So what? Look how he's played since then. Yeah. So what? We, sh- You could argue we never should have gotten rid of him in the first place. You could argue it's a good thing we did get rid of him. Was the re- was given- Did we give away a lot to bring him back? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But guess what? He's working out just fine. Um, and he's playing phenomenally whenever he's healthy. He's played with... If he played with every line and has produced on every line, I, there's no reason to not protect him because that is a guy that would get scooped up immediately, I think. And he's very valuable to lose. He's a young guy on a pretty decent contract. I feel like it'd be almost a given that he'd be one of the top players that Seattle would look at if we left him open. So, so far we have the same lineup. I know the next guy was on both of our list at the start of this on Seattle Mock Draft 1.0. And that's Jared McCann. And I think he's done so much to kind of preserve that spot because when we did it last time, it was between McCann and a couple other people that were on that final bubble to me. And I chose McCann. And now the way that he has played, the age that he is and the contract that he is on, it's pretty hard to leave McCann exposed to Seattle knowing that they'd probably take a chance on him. 
because he's playing extremely well right now. He's great on the Penguins' first power play right now in the absence of Evgeny Malkin, and he kind of spearheaded that Penguins' second line up until Jeff Carter showed up to be able to take the reins from him, and now he gets to play wing where it seems like he's a little bit more comfortable. He thrived the most, as you'll hear in our interview with Hunter Hodes, he thrived the most this season when he was playing on the wing with Evgeny Malkin. So that might be a guy that, along with Kasperi Kapanen, provides to be Evgeny Malkin's line mates next season. You definitely want to be able to protect a guy like that. Yeah, he was my last guy in. He was the guy that I had to adjust. That whenever I did my adjustments, he's the one I had to throw in. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, yeah, he's definitely uh, protected, but he's definitely just barely protected to me. I don't know why. I just He's a guy that you feel like he might not be around for too, too much longer anyway. At least this is just me. Because he can have a great return on a trade market. He does have a good future in the NHL. Who knows if he has this sort of skill on another team? Mm-hmm. It's a weird situation, a weird situation with Jared McCann. But for what it's worth, right now, yes, he's playing phenomenally. He is protected on my list, um, but just kind of as the last guy to be protected. So if he's the last guy on your list, I'm interested to see who else you have on there. So far, we have matched what we did on season two, episode one, for our first mock draft, mock expansion draft. I am differing in this last spot, so I will let you go, and then I'll, I'll tell you who I have because it is different. I did knock somebody out of my protected list and insert somebody else. Who do you have in your last spot right now for the expansion draft? I don't even remember my first list, so I'm sure Teddy Bluger was not on it, and I have tossed him in there because, mm-hmm. my God, is that guy important. Yeah. My goodness, is he one of our better players just all around the ice no matter what. Um, he's getting faster he looks bulkier out there by the way in his first few games back i just want to point that i watched the saturday game and i saw teddy bluger skating and i thought my god he looks thicker (laughs) like he's definitely not taller but he he looks wider on the ice he looks like a bigger human being uh for someone who is notably not a big not a huge human being Mm -hmm. so the fact that bluger's getting bigger and still getting faster um yeah, it's weird to say we're protecting a fourth-line player. We are protecting a fourth-line player. We are protecting this fourth-line player. Uh, he's just too important to the team to lose. Again, this is it's a situation where, well, you don't know if Seattle's going to take him. Correct. You're right. We don't know. Maybe we should use this protected, protected spot on someone else, but I don't want to run that risk with him mm-hmm. because you are running a risk of leaving people exposed. He's one you don't want to run it with. That's a fair so point. So he's kind of my three to four. I mean, I kind of numbered them in a way, but he's my guy that's in the in the protection for sure, solidly. Funny enough, that's exactly who I put in the last protection list. Both of us have bumped Teddy Bluger up mainly because of the way that he has performed this season. I mean, he's shown mm-hmm. that he has more of an offensive ability this year, and it is so, so important. And if we need any more kind of reasoning, look at where the Pittsburgh Penguins were whenever both Bluger and Malkin went down. Center depth has always been of mass importance in Mike Sullivan's system. And yes, it's nice that Jared McCann can play wing or center. Yes, it's nice that Evan Rodriguez can do the same thing. But you need those pure centers, those penalty-killing centers, especially for this team, and the centers that are good in the face-off dot. Teddy Bluger brings all of that, as well as a 200-foot game. And he is of mass importance to this team. He is still young getting into the prime of his career, and now he's starting to find a little bit more of his offensive game. He is a premier fourth-line player and a premier fourth-line center in this league, and that is why the Penguins need to protect him. 
Now, with that, both of us bumped to the same player out of the protected list, and that's Jason Zucker. A lot has been said about Jason Zucker's game over the last month plus, and it's not... His performance isn't necessarily the reason that we're bumping him, or at least why I'm bumping him. I'm bumping him just because of how much more important Teddy Bluger has made himself throughout the course of the season. I still... And very much in the corner of Jason Zucker. Of course, you saw him score that goal on Sunday. It was nice to see. I hope that he continues to play well. I just think that the contract that he has, he's getting paid over $5 million. And the age that he is, Teddy Bluger is of a little bit more importance. And so is Jared McCann in that facet because McCann can play that center position. He is less expensive than Zucker. He also is a player that has played better this season so yeah absolutely that's why zucker is out for me why did you take zucker out i I would imagine it's along the same lines it's definitely along the same lines um it's also be kind of because um i had this weird thought the other day that um jason zucker is a guy that might be able to bring back a lot of trade value and whenever i say bring back a lot of trade value i understand he's got a modified no 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 trade so it's gonna be a bit harder to move him but he's a guy i at, at this point of the year, we've seen him not play phenomenally. Um, if that continues and he's not improving his game, he's not getting too much better, I don't see him finishing his contract here. I don't. He can bring back a lot on the market. And, again, I know that's a guy you want to lose and get something back for. But in some situations, if, you know, it, if you expose – he's one of those guys in an expansion draft situation. If you expose – you hope that it's appealing enough that the other important players that you have also exposed don't get touched. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're putting a good player like Jason Zucker on the exposed list, knowing you have important, important penguin players underneath him that you would rather protect. Cause I think there's a couple players that I have like one player I'd rather protect over Zucker, Mm -hmm. but I can't in my situation. And that player's Brandon Tanev. I would love to protect him, but again, I, I'm taking his contract year by year, going to be honest. Yeah. And Zucker seems appealing enough that you expose him and Tanev. Most teams are going to look at that and say, Jason Zucker, because he's a better player per se. I kind of galaxy brained that answer, but yeah. that's exactly what this is all about. On paper, Jason Zucker is technically the better player. I think right now for the Pittsburgh Penguins, they would much rather have Brandon Tanev healthy. Listen, Zucker is a good player. He can be a very good third liner, and that's what the Penguins have been seeing in the last couple of games. He's just kind of overskating and overthinking the game a little bit. If yeah. he can simplify it, he'll be a very big piece for the Penguins going into the playoffs. And here's the thing about trading a guy like Jason Zucker. You're never going to get the return on investment that you paid. You paid Kalen Addison and a first-round pick for him. I mean, you also threw Alex Galchenyuk in there, but that's basically null and void at this point. Yeah. But you threw a first-round pick plus a top prospect for this guy. You're never going to get that back in a trade. And I get that it wasn't Hextall's trade to begin with, so he really doesn't care. But... I don't know if Jason Zucker is a guy that they trade yet. They might look into it in the future, but I don't think he's a guy that we have to worry about getting traded. He is a big name for Seattle, though. I mean, if you look at five of the names that we didn't protect on the forward side alone, Brandon Tanev, Jason Zucker, Jeff Carter, 
Zach Aston Reese and Evan Rodriguez. I think all five of those would be a very good addition to a Seattle team. Yeah, and they're important players to the Penguins, at least, though. They are. That's the other situation. It's a galaxy brain situation. And another thing about Jason Zucker, too, is $5.5 million. Yeah, that is a big number. For a- That's a lot of money, especially for the way he's playing this year. That's a huge number for not great play. Um, but it's impressive. Now, don't get us wrong. If Jason Zucker pops out, we're recording this Tuesday night, so who knows? He could really... We're Tuesday afternoon. We're recording this. He got a phenomenal game Tuesday. Yeah. Jason Zucker is the guy that is, he's real. Him and McCann, my last guy in, are at about the same level. It's kind of a coin flip for me. Yeah. It whoever finishes off the season stronger might be on my protected list if we do this one more time before it's all said and done. Like our official official ones. We will definitely do a three point <laughs> Closer to the time of the expansion draft. And who yeah. knows, maybe even Brandon Tandem gets in there if he can get healthy and improve himself. I'm not Pro- sure. Do we protect all three of that fourth line and say, what are we doing here? Well, no, because Zach Aston Reese isn't going to get protected. Yeah, Zach Aston he's not getting protected. But the nice thing is, is the fact that Zach Aston Reese is extremely good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the Seattle Kraken scouts know that, but I feel like the rest of the names are a little bit more attractive to them, and they might just leave well enough alone with that, and we get Zach Aston Reese back. Which, looking at this list, listen, I don't want to lose any of these five guys. Whenever I typed these names down, I looked at it, and I was like, wow, it, it stinks to lose these guys, but you always got to remember, we're only losing one. Yeah, well, I also, I mean, we can go over it. I pulled up, I have to find him again. Um our protected, our unprotected list from 2017. Some of those names on there, you would have figured. Well, those, I mean, this that situation is way different than this one. Yes, we kind of knew, we kind of saw the writing on the wall last time. And this time around, it's a little different. It could be anyone. We also paid to have Vegas take Mark Andre Fleury. We we paid yeah. to make sure that that's who they took, so we could continue our plan that didn't really work out in 2018. But do you have that list yeah. in front of you? Yeah, just pulled it back up. I mean, last time, let's be honest, we could have we could have unprotected Marc Andre Fleury and then just spit out alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're, we're, the the Knights were taking Fleury. This situation, it's a little different because it could be anyone from our team. the The Kraken could come into the come into the pits come into Pittsburgh and say, "All right, we're gonna get depth with this selection. We're gonna get a fourth liner." Taking Zach Asteris, for example. Taking Brandon Tanev, for example. Taking Evan Rodriguez, even. Mm-hmm. Or they could come into the Penguins saying, all right, we need the high-flying goal scorer. Jason Zucker, boom. Or if Jared McCann's out there. Jared McCann, boom. Maybe they want to take the contract of Mike Matheson because they need to hit a cap floor. I don't know. Who knows what they're going to think coming into Pittsburgh. But in 2017, the Penguins did not protect Nick Bonino. Mm. I think we ended up losing him anyway that offseason, but still. Mm-hmm. Carl Haglin who, again, didn't, wasn't the same player after that season, but still. No, we traded him. Yeah, later, yeah. Uh, unprotected Chris Kunitz, but I think that's because he was old. Yeah. Um, Brian Rust was unprotected then. Was he unprotected or was he? No, he was unprotected. I was about available. to say he was available too. Yep. Jeez. Um, Ian Cole, who was important to the Penguins – until we decided to trade him for he's, some reason. He's still a steady defenseman now up in Minnesota, so he's still somebody yeah. who would be great to have on the Pittsburgh Penguins. But what did we do? We left him available last time because yeah. we kind of knew what was happening. Trevor Daly was left open. 
Again, he left that offseason to make a ton of money in Detroit, but still. Coming off of an uh, ankle injury, too, in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, any other important people? No, then Marc-Andre Fleury. There, I mean, Chad Ruedel was there left unprotected, but saw that one coming. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to look at some names. Tom Kudakel, you know, yeah. for what it's worth. Uh, Matt Cullen, another one for what it's worth. Yeah. But, yeah, so – this situation's a lot different. You also, I'd love that we protected Oli Mata and Justin Schultz back then. Oh, good lord, what a team! Instead of Ron Haynes. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it was a very, you know, we didn't. It was a different time. We weren't worried about who they were going to take because we knew yeah. they were going to take Fleury. We didn't know we'd have to pay them to take Mark Andre Fleury, but we did nonetheless. But there it is. That's our expansion mock draft 2.0 again. Both of ours are identical. We protect Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Tristan Jari, Brian Dumlin, Marcus Pedersen, Jake Gensel, Brian Rusk, Kasperi Kapanen, Jared McCann, and Teddy Bluger. Now, if I'm Seattle looking at this, if this is what the Penguins give me, I look at this and I say, okay, I'll take Brandon Tanev because that's a guy that your fans are going to love. That's a guy that's going to give you a hundred percent effort. That's a guy that's going to make it exciting in Seattle. I think either way we're losing a forward to the Kraken. I don't think yeah, they're going to take a defenseman unless Hextall swings some kind of deal for them to take Matheson. That would probably cost him a first round pick and more. I don't think that's something that'll happen. I, I don't honestly think Mike Matheson is going to get moved in the next year or two. I think I think that's somebody that we're going to be watching for a while in black and gold. I also bet given the way Vegas came out um, of their first season and played very well with the guys that were, th- that were throw-ins mm-hmm. to be to, for teams to say, Hey, take this player and then, or draft picks. I bet that happens way less this year. Yeah. I bet it's, you're taking a player. We're not giving you anything else. I bet GMs have wised up to this situation and kind of are a little bit more aware of what they have. Yeah, I feel like they're not going to get as many draft picks as Vegas was able to get because Vegas, they got a Stanley Cup Finals team and then they also got all of the draft picks, so much so that they were willing to just blow a first, second, and third round pick on Tomas Tatar in their second year of existence. So they had so many draft picks that they didn't really care what they gave up. And not even that, it's if you can, if you remember, they took, you know, they took their 30 players, they traded a bunch of them yeah if that was the wild part about it, is that they got a ton of players and then shipped off i don't remember exactly how many but it was damn near 10 they flipped a lot didn't they take they calvin a- pickard and then flip him yeah yeah calvin pickard was a big one i mm, they played the season with john merrill didn't they yeah john merrill was there okay that's i, I there was another big one that i can't remember but yeah mm-hmm. they picked up guys and shipped them off so it vegas was a weird situation and because Seattle is probably going to try and follow those footsteps, mm-hmm. you'll you'll probably see them take guys and try and flip. So maybe they take a Tanev, but then immediately trade him somewhere, despite a modified no trade clause. Yeah. Who knows how that all goes? It's gonna be a it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be weird. We're probably gonna lose someone of importance. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone just be ready for it, because again, it's it's gonna be a little different this year because depending on what other teams do. And who they expose, Penguins might luck out, and maybe they do just need to take a rich defenseman. Maybe they luck out. Maybe they do just need a backup goalie. Hmm. 
not saying it's a good move to lose to Smith, but maybe that's what they need. Mm. Who knows when they get to the Penguins and what decisions they make. It's going to be weird. It's going to be wild. And it'll be entertaining. And here It will be entertaining. Here's the thing. If the Penguins lose a forward to Seattle in the expansion draft, Nathan Legare and Sam Poulin are just that much closer. They are just that much closer to stepping in. And you never know how the Penguins are going to rearrange that. I know Brian Burke might have something up his sleeve for the offseason. But that is it. That is our Seattle Mock Expansion Draft 2.0. We will have a 3.0 probably at the end of the Penguins season whenever they win the Stanley Cup <coughs> and raise the 21 2021 cup but we're going to take a quick break when we return we will have hunter hodes joining the show of the locked on penguins podcast we'll be right back do you want a true champion's perspective well come on over to the bulls broadcast where we talk about the tampa bay lightning have some friendly banter and of course hockey name of the day if you pronounce it you can get it anthony nunschwander ah you didn't pronounce it right Anthony Anthony Nunschfander. It's any UEN. It's Neunschfander. Anthony Neunschfander. Dude, I always slept in German class, so I don't know. I don't know how you expected me to put that together. Come on. You only took it for four years. I took it for two. Took it for two years? Oh no, Jay don't yeah. took it that long. I, I took it for two years and was like asleep in all of German too. Oh, you you, you only took it in, in uh, junior high. You didn't take yeah. it in high school at all. No. Yeah, she sent us across the hallway, and it was like me and I don't know five other people, and all we did was just goof off because it was an empty room of just us while she was too busy yelling at you guys because you guys were a terrible <laughs> class. No. <laughs> We were in terrible class. A couple people were terrible people. Uh, not going to mention names. Not going to call it anybody in this pod. It was Chase Crawshaw. It was 100% <laughs> not me. Oh, boy. I know a couple of those names, but, uh, yeah, it's a good point, Chase. We won't mention those here. New episodes every Monday, only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are joined right now by a very special guest. We welcome on Hunter Hodes of the Locked On Penguins podcast. How you doing, Hunter? Not bad. You know, the Penguins, hopefully they can bounce back tonight after that disappointing effort on Sunday. But it's a gorgeous spring day here, so I really can't complain. Yeah, it's pretty easy to, to be in high hopes whenever you're looking out and it's sunny in 75. And, of course, with the Penguins coming down the stretch towards playoff hockey, everybody starts to get in a little bit of a better mood. And with that stretch to playoff hockey comes the discussions of NHL awards. And that's actually where I want to start with you today, Hunter. I don't know if you listened to our Monday episode, but I did mention I was going to bring this question up to you. And the question being, is Sidney Crosby in the heart picture in your eyes right now? And what are the chances that he is actually named league MVP this season? I think he's in the picture, but I think it's basically Connor McDavid and then everyone else for the heart. Um, seeing what he's been doing, I think he has, what, almost 70-something points in 40 games or something like that. Um, people try to spin it any way they want. Um, it's it's Connor McDavid. Um, I think Sid will probably finish in the top five, rightfully so. He's having a really good season, um, averaging over a point per game again, I think. Um, if he finishes with over a point per game, I think he'll tie 
Um, Wayne Gretzky for, I think, 14 consecutive seasons with over a point per game. I think I saw that stat somewhere um, for his first 14, 15 years of his career. So um, I think you can maybe see him being a finalist, but for him to win the award, no, I I think it's Connor and McDavid's to lose. It just bothers me seeing Connor McDavid getting kind of the highlights for that. So is Austin Matthews at this point, which, yes, they are having very impressive seasons. But as I mentioned on Monday's episode, you got to play in a real division for me to really think that you deserve an MVP title. Yeah, I, I understand that. You know, the Canadian division has not been that good this year. I mean, Toronto's mm-hmm. been kind of running away with it, but um, Edmonton is right. I think everyone would want to see Matthews versus McDavid in a playoff series just for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, but I still, you know, even though he's beaten up on a lot of bad competition, I know the Flames play garbage hockey under Daryl Sutter. Um, I know Ottawa's not that good. Montreal's been struggling. Um, to put up, like I said, however, 70-something points in 40-something games is ridiculous. That's like 2010, 2011 stuff we saw from Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Who do you th- – I mean, before we move on to more questions on the league and the team, who do you think the, the uh, finalists will be, the top three? I'm going to go – yeah, McDavid. I'm going to go – I'm, I almost went dry sidle just because he's also been awesome, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're going to put both of them there. I think you're probably going to see McDavid, Matthews, and I, I might as well just say Sid. I think he'll be a finalist, but he's not going to win it. Totally fair. But now we can move into the team. So with all the injuries that have been happening and players are finally starting to skate again, what kind of impact will specifically Evgeny Malkin and Kasperi Kapanen uh, have on this team upon their return, if it is, you know, anytime soon. Um, yeah, obviously it would be a huge um, impact for both those guys to come back. It allows depth to be a lot better. Um, you can maybe reunite Jared McCann up with the Malkin and Kapanen because McCann was playing, I think, his best hockey. I mean, he's played some damn good hockey this season overall, but I think he was playing his best hockey when he was with Malkin and Kapanen. And then that allows you to have Jeff Carter as at the center position with Jason Zucker and then Evan Rodriguez. I've been talking about that um, on my show. Then for Kapanen, you know, I obviously understand why a lot of people were a bit down on that acquisition, giving up a top 15 pick for someone who struggled a lot last year. But he was playing his best hockey since 2018-19. You look at the data, um, even just use your eye test. He was great. And that allows also players like, you know, Colton Sevier, who has had a couple of good games in a row. But do, do people really want him in the playoffs lineup? No, yeah. no. Does anyone want Mark Jankowski getting meaningful minutes? I've already been seeing him play six on five minutes at the end of the game or on the PK, which just makes me cringe every time I see him on the ice at this point. So um, I probably have like a, a, I think it's like a gamely tweet where I just say like, okay, Mike, what's the point here? But it allows him to get out. Um, and then you really just have your big lineup question. Then when Tana comes back, you take a couple others out too. Your big lineup question, I think, is your 12 forward Radim Zohorna or is it Evan Rodriguez? I understand the like pitches for both. For me, it's Rodriguez because I think he's played his best hockey these last three to four weeks, and I don't want to go off too short of a sample size with Zohorna. But it allows – all these players coming back allows the Penguins to be, um, I think, the deepest team they've had since 2016 and 2017. It's definitely something that the Penguins look for every year, basically. it's They want to be one of the deepest teams to be able to roll four lines because that is the only way that – Sullivan's system works or has worked to its full potential. And we saw that in 2016 and in 2017, that depth was kind of the key cog that led them to the Stanley Cup. So it's interesting you say 
the 12th forward being down to Zahorna and Edwin Rodriguez. I know a lot of people on Twitter would love to see Big Z kind of draw that spot, but Edwin Rodriguez has had a subtly impressive stretch here where he is kind of the leader of the line that he has been on, whether that be the de facto second line before Carter's acquisition or even afterwards now with Aston Reese and Bluger. He's kind of been the energy guy on both of those lines. Yeah, his playmaking ability has been much better on um, these last few weeks than it was earlier on in the season. If you were to pose this question at the beginning of the season, I would go Zahorna. But, you know, Rodriguez doesn't work in that top six role. Everyone dumped on Mike Sullivan for putting him on the top line, and rightfully so. Evan Rodriguez does not belong with Jake Ensel and Sidney Crosby. But if you put him on a line with someone like Jason Zucker, who I understand why fans are going after him a bit too. He's been struggling. He's thinking, overthinking stuff. Um but if you put him there, like he can feed Zucker pucks and Zucker can finish them. And then Rodriguez himself, I don't like that he doesn't shoot as much, but I think these last few games you've seen that he's actually been putting more pucks to the net and getting to the high danger areas. You saw that goal that he had against Buffalo on Saturday, just an awesome shot, a glove side over to Okarski. So um, he's fine for what he is. He's a depth player making 700K. He can give you help on the PK. He can put him in the bottom six and that's all you need. And this also helps that when hopefully the team gets Tanev back for the playoffs, they can roll the Aston Reese Bluger Tanev line out there as their fourth line. I mean, and they suppress shots at an elite level. So that helps a lot there too. Hunter, I know right now the Pittsburgh Penguins are getting set to begin a five-game homestand, three against the Devils, two against the Boston Bruins, which is going to be an important homestand for them considering how close the East Division is right now. But the Penguins haven't struggled at all, really, at home. They've only lost a handful of games, which begs the question, how important is it for this team to get home ice advantage for the playoffs this season? It's very important, I would say. You know, I, I read some people say, well, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, there's not going to be full attendance. Trust me, people. It, it matters. Even if it's like 40% capacity, which there, there's a chance. You know, I, I don't know what Tom Wolf is going to do in Pennsylvania in three to four weeks when the playoffs come around, but I think they're at 25% capacity right now overall. I think that change just came into focus last week or something. So mm -hmm. um, we'll have to see if they make an attendance move for that, but it does matter. You can see how much better they play at PBG, PBG Paints Arena, excuse me. Um, against playing on the road. They seem more focused. Um, they play more of a 200-foot game. It seems like they just – I don't know what it is, but they play so much better there. Um, they're only one point out of second place, so it's very doable that they can get Paul Mice. Um, and it's it's big. You know, I don't want them to have to go to Nassau Coliseum, which is one of the biggest dumps in America for hockey stadiums, and have to play two games there against the Islanders. We've seen what happens there in 2019. Um, and yes, when you give me an opportunity to dump on the Coliseum, um, I will. <laughs> I can't wait for them to get their new arena um, next season. Um, I really, I, it just, it would be much, I'd be much more comfortable playing those two games against Sounders at PPG as opposed to going to Nassau. And the same with Washington as well. So yes, it is pretty damn important. We'll have to see if they can um, make use of it. I mean, they still have five games left combined against New Jersey and Buffalo. They have two more against Philadelphia. For whatever reason, they've struggled against the Flyers this year. Don't really know why. Uh, but they should still be able to win um, out of the 11 games, you know, like I said, like about, what, seven of them are against the bottom three teams in the division. So the opportunity is there for the Penguins to not only secure a playoff spot, um, which they probably will anyway, but, you know, secure whole mice, which they desperately need. Because, I mean, the fans there, even if it's if it's 40% capacity, 
um, they'll make a lot of noise, and that'll really help, I think, the team moving down the stretch. Yeah, I and feel what you're saying about Nassau, at least, because Nassau Coliseum is a different animal when it comes to the Islanders and playoffs, no less, because, you know, their fans have been, what, like, just given a bad hand with them having to play at Barclays Center for how many games now over the past few years? It's a special moment for the Islanders in general whenever they're able to play at Nassau, so that really has an effect on them, I think. Yeah, it's it, that'll be their last few games at Nassau. So the fans will they'll try to pack as many fans in there as they can, um, even as vac- vaccinations are going up. But you know, it's like I said, I can't stand that place. The Penguins have had a lot of bad luck there, and just if you look at the arena, it's like an AHL barn. So, like yeah. I said, I can't wait for them to move to Belmont um, next season. <laughs> um, so, barring any more injuries from this defensive core, we've seen enough all around the lineup. But do you think we see? guys like Mark Friedman, Chad Ruido, or Yusuf Rico anymore this season? Or is this set in stone, these six that we have now? I think they're set in stone. Um, like you said, bearing an injury, which, you know, cr- cross your fingers because the Penguins have been, this is ridiculous with all the injuries that they go through on a season basis. But, yeah, I think this is the six that you're going to have. You're not going to break up doing one Latang. That's one of the best top pairings in the league. Um, ever since they put Pedersen back with Marino, um, John has looked much more comfortable. Um, I talked about this on the Locked On Penguins podcast. You know, the Matheson Marino pairing was never going to work because you have two players there that always want the puck. Hell, you have one player there that basically is a forward who <laughs> great in the offensive zone, but not so good in the defensive zone. And then Marino also always wants the puck, but he's still great in the defensive zone. So that pairing never really worked with me. But now if you put Pedersen back there, their expected goals for percentage, I think it's went up to 54% now, um, better than I think the Matheson CC one, which I'll get to in just a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pedersen hasn't had the best season. I mean, that's kind of being kind about it, I guess. He's making, um, I think was his contract a little over $4 million per. We'll have to see what they're going to do with that in the offseason. But it's helped Marino get back to what he was doing last season in his rookie season, which, you know, he had a lot of Calder Trophy love going until he had that broken jaw or cheekbone, whatever it was. And then with Matheson, CC, that's a fine pairing. You have Matheson. He wants the puck a lot. He's been playing a lot better, I think, these last couple of weeks. And he's also the total chaos player. He's either going to do something so awesome or he's just going to barf all over himself in the defensive zone. And then with CC, you know, I think he's made me eat crow. I think potentially you guys, if you guys had the same take as me going into the season about it, um, you deploy him in a good manner and you give him third and fourth line matchups and he will eat them up. And that's exactly what he's been doing this year. So bearing any injuries and let's say if those last two games against Buffalo don't matter and they're locked into um, the number two spot or number one spot in the division, um, you probably will not see the extras play again this season. So you talked a little bit about the Penguins struggling, playing on the road against the New York Islanders, especially in the Coliseum, which you called an AHL barn, and I absolutely love it. But between the Penguins and the other three teams that are now in the playoffs, because we can imagine that those are the three teams that are going to clinch a playoff spot, which do you think the Pens match up with the best going into a first-round matchup? It's a good question. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to say Washington. That's going to sound weird because they just got Mantha and he's been lighting it up. I think he has four goals in his first four games. But Pittsburgh has played Washington really well this year. And that's not to say they haven't played the Islanders well, too. I mean, they went 6-2 and two against them. That's the best I've seen them play against the Islanders um, since, I think, before Barry Trotz got there, to be honest with you all. Um, but I just – I really like – 
the matchup with the Capitals. I think Pittsburgh is deeper than them, even with Mantha there. And um, taking Jacob Verona out, who was basically turning into a Penguins killer at this point. I think he had like seven goals in 16 games against them, if I'm not mistaken. And then you look at their defense. I would take Pittsburgh's defense over them 100 times out of 100. Sure, John Carlson's awesome in the offensive zone. But after that, who do you really have? Dmitry Orlov? Okay, he's not bad. I mean, Justin Schultz. He's been better, but, I mean, you're really going to trust Justin Schultz a lot in a playoff series. Zendano Char is a bit up there. Nick Jensen's, I guess, is okay. And then with uh, the goaltending, which goalie of theirs is going to start? Like, that's the big thing. I think they're just a little bit overrated. That's not to say that they're not a good team. I absolutely think they are. Um, And they can definitely come out of the East Division. But I still think Pittsburgh matches up with them the best. Like I said, I think I would take Pittsburgh's forward depth over them as well, especially in the bottom six if they are fully healthy after that i would go the islanders it's basically like a 1a 1b then it's boston just because for whatever reason you know going back to 2013 i'm sure you all watched that embarrassing sweep you know when i was only 15 16 years old something like that so um they just give the penguins fits i don't know what it is i've never understood it um but that's a team i would like to avoid in round one Though I think at some point I still would like to see the Penguins actually beat them in a playoff series because that's the last big rival that Sid and Gino have not beaten in their uh, career in a playoff series. I never really thought of it that way, actually. They haven't. Yep. Maybe, yeah, the Rangers, yep. Flyers, Islanders. Capitals a um, bunch. Yep. Early Senators after that first loss. They beat the little brother Columbus Blue Jackets, who, you know, they like to say that's a rivalry, but like I said, that's like big yeah. brother, little brother thing. So it's, yeah, it's basically just in Boston. That's good. Well, how do you see, I mean, how do you see the East Division finishing up in terms of standings from one to all of them, all, all eight? I think it's going to be, I think Washington wins it. I think Pittsburgh takes home ice. I think you see the Islanders in third, and I think you see Boston fourth. Uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of hope with the Rangers right now, but they also just beat the Devils four times in a row. So, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see if the Penguins can do that now. Yeah. So, um, if the Rangers can do it, um, so can Pittsburgh. Um, I think the Rangers do get fifth, though. I think they're going to miss out um, by a little bit. I think it's just too little, too late with them. Though, I will say this. That's going to be a scary team next season. They will. That is a playoff team next yeah. year. Um, Adam Fox is number two on my Norris ballot right now. I have McAvoy winning it, but I think Adam Fox deserves all the Norris voting he can get. And, you know, we have Panarin up there and Zibanejad and Higo and Lafreniere might take a new next step. That's going to be a really scary team. Um, at six, I guess I'll put, I guess I'll put Philadelphia, even though that was a nice collapse that they had the last basically month and a half. Carter Hart took away their playoff hopes and just said the hell with that. And then New Jersey, and then I go Buffalo. Um, but I will say, you know, Buffalo has been playing a lot better ever since they traded Taylor Hall and Brandon Montour and Eric Stahl. Um, I think they've won six of the last 11 games. So they're playing more loose. That's the when a, a team is most dangerous, I think. You know, they have nothing to lose. They just beat the, the Capitals in Washington right before they beat the Penguins. They beat Boston. They beat Philly twice. So uh, I still see the Sabres finishing there. But, you know, it also would not surprise me if they actually leapfrog the Devils. That's what I was about to say. The Sabres are right now, as we record this, three points back of the Devils, and they're playing New Jersey. And I mean, New Jersey's got a game in hand, but still, being three points back to a team that we thought might not hit ten wins all season, (laughs) um, that's that's not a good look on New Jersey's part. And Buffalo's just playing without a care anymore, so they might Buffalo themselves out of a play or out of a draft pick. But (laughs) so be it. 
Yeah, New Jersey's got to get poor Jack Hughes um, some help this yeah. offseason. I, I see him having a mini Nathan McKinnon breakout at some point. I don't think, I'm not saying it's going to be 100 points in like his fourth or fifth season, but you can see the talent is there. But I also think not having Nico Heeshear there for like almost all season. I know he's back now, but mm-hmm. that's been yeah. a real killer for him. And also, I think the COVID-19 layoff for him also really affected Jack Hughes. But, I mean, when he's played the Penguins, he's looked pretty good, scored a couple of really nice goals. So you definitely see why he was a first overall pick, and you definitely see what the Devils see in him. So we'll see going forward. I know that's a very young team. They've had a good season out of Ty Smith, the defenseman. I know he's going to miss Tuesday's game with an injury, but they've had a lot of good performances. You know, Igor Sharangovich kind of springs to mind. But – not happening for them this season, unfortunately. The Penguins will see what they can do these last couple of games against them. You mentioned his name earlier. I want to bring it up. Jeff Carter, what have you seen from him since he was traded here at the deadline? Because what we've seen on from this show is a lot of jump and a lot of just energy brought to a second line there. Yeah, there's been a lot of jump from him. He's also really good at getting to the high-danger scoring areas. Um, you can tell, I think his first goal is coming and honestly, it might be tonight. I, I'll throw that prediction out there. He's going to score in Tuesday night's game. Um, he just, he's getting very close and his underlying numbers have been really good too. I think the expected goal share would hit with him on the ice is around 65, 66%. Um, the course with the shot attempts, 66, 67%. So, um, he's winning the battle with the numbers in the offensive zone and he's just been a great fit with Jason Zucker on that line. Um, and honestly, while playing with Jerry McCann as well, um, you can uh, people compare this to the Patrick Marlowe acquisition I saw when it first happened. Please stop. Like, I mean, I don't know where that came from. I understand he's 36, 37 years old, but Patrick Marlowe kind of skated like a corpse in the return to play last year, which, you know, it, maybe he played a couple of nice games, but it, it did not matter when they lost to Montreal. So um, there's definitely a lot more jump. You can tell how fast he is. He's good in the faceoff circle. Uh, you can put him on the second power play unit. You can put him on the PK unit, even though PK unit is, let's just say, hashtag not good, as they say yeah. on Twitter. So, um, and at 5v5, like I said, he's winning his matchups and, just put him out there against anyone and he's just been great. So like I said, I think he's going to score tonight and he's one of the best volume shooters in the league too. And you've been seeing that these last few games. So I'm really excited to see what he can do um, tonight. And especially when the team gets fully healthy. So I'm so glad you actually also mentioned Patrick Marlowe because my question I had was what is your favorite Patrick Marlowe moment from his extensive Penguins tenure? Oh, uh, <laughs> just one the uh, the intro video. That's it, mainly. <laughs> oh no, he, he had one goal. I think. I think he that's did have one goal. Yeah, that's my favorite memory. You know, I think that was the line. He was. It was the Marlo McCann Hornquist line in the return to play, mm-hmm. and I've never seen a more bad line. I think, um, just in the playoffs, it was just utterly terrible. I think was the main thing I saw. <laughs> so, um, did, did nice it, goal though. Yeah. Did anyone else notice how? In like the the video montages about Marlowe, how often they showed him in a Penguins jersey, though. One of the ones I picked up on, it was like the second clip they showed. It was him walking out in a Penguins jersey. It's the wildest thing. Um, but like, those yeah, eight like... games, you know, really meant something, I guess. Again, yeah, it's a great I, story, but still. Um, it, but shout out to Patrick Marlowe. Childhood team, I guess. is. I think it was his childhood team or something. Yeah. He said last year. So I guess that's why. Yeah, that was kind of the story of it. I mean... It's just very weird because there was a ton of clips of it, it seemed. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I did see that. That was weird. His, what, 0.45% of his games played were here in Pittsburgh. So that was definitely a big chunk of his career, for sure. Yeah, just just a tiny bit. <laughs> well, Hunter, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you giving us your time. Uh, we want to give you this time now to just plug whatever you have going on. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media and what's coming up for you on the Locked On Penguins podcast. Yeah, so I do the Locked On Penguins podcast five days a week during the season, three days a week when it's off season. I'm actually I'm in the process of editing today's episode. I did a crossover with uh, Locked On Devils, Trey Matthews. Um, he does a great job over there with, uh, you know, it's not easy to watch the Devils on a nightly basis and do a podcast on them. So um, I have to commend him for that. Um, I also do some writing for uh, Last Word on Hockey. I did a piece on Jeff Carter um, last week. I think I have a couple things coming up with regards to some articles. And then um, also on Tuesday night, I'm going to be doing the Pittsburgh post game with Matt Geica of Pittsburgh Hockey Now. A lot of fun to do those. Um, and I think that's mainly it. You can follow my Twitter at Hunter, Hunter Hodes. I live tweet all the Penguins games. And yeah, that's basically it. Thank you all so much for having me on. Of course, man. And, and we can't wait for the Penguins to get around into the playoffs. And you know, we'll obviously be getting together again to discuss all that happens in the postseason this year. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I will repay you all when you all come on Locked on Penguins. That'll be the next time. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. But thank you again for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again goes out to Hunter Hodes for joining the show. It was great to have him on. And like I said at the beginning of the interview, it's been a long time coming for us to get Mm -hmm. him on the show. Both of us have mentioned that several times to each other before even reaching out to him. So a big thank you to him for joining the show. But we are going to close this one out. With our shout-outs and call-out segment, Horwat, who is your shout-out this week? Uh, this week, uh, yeah, because we haven't had too much discussion on it, I'm shouting out former Pittsburgh Penguin Patrick Marlowe <laughs> for, um, by God, breaking one of NHL's unbreakable records. Yeah. Really. Uh, incredible stuff for him. And, yeah, like I said, that's one of those numbers that doesn't get reached very often in any sort of sport. The most games played record. I had, I should have looked into each of the big fours play, games played records to see where they stand and how far above they are from everyone. But those are the kind of records you don't see very often, especially nowadays, because the turnover is a little bit faster. Um, guys like, you know... We've seen the Penguins this year. People get hurt a lot, especially in this sport. People get hurt in every sport, but the hockey especially. Patrick Marlowe has not missed a game. Oh, I forget what year it was. I wrote the stat down. It's this. He hasn't missed a game since I think it was 0809. Jeez. <laughs> That's nutty. That's in 0809, the Penguins won the Stanley Cup. He hasn't missed a game since that year. That's a lot of years. And. Shout out to him for just being an all-time great. It's a damn shame he couldn't win a cup. But, you know what? Some of the best ever haven't won. Eric Lindros, for example. You know, Alexander Ovechkin forever was on that list, but he got his. Um, And you can't say it wasn't without trying for Marlowe. He left the Sharks twice in attempts to get it. Mm-hmm. It's good that he beat this record in Sa- er, with San Jose, at least. Yeah. Um, It's kind of where it deserved to be. But, again... Those eight games, man. Shout out to the former Penguin. I mean, played there enough to get the Penguin logo and Penguin's imagery all over, uh-huh. <laughs> all over the 
the media all over the uh, tributes. And I said I mentioned this in the interview, but my God, I thought it was very weird how many times there were clips of him in a Penguins uniform on the uh, like in those tribute videos. I get that it was a childhood dream thing, which is cool. Don't get me wrong, but you played all but eight of your games with with San Jose or Toronto. Seeing him in a Toronto jersey made more sense. Yeah. He played 145 but, games in Toronto, I believe. That's a lot, really. Yeah, two seasons. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, shout-out to him for phenomenal work throughout his career. It's, again, damn shame for not. He couldn't win a cup, but um, mm. he broke Mr. Hockey's record. One of them. There you have it. One of them. <laughs> yeah. You have somebody else chasing Mr. Hockey as well, so we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And I did look up the other big three sports NBA all time is Robert Parrish. I, I, mm-hmm. I've never heard of him. Uh, NFL Morton Anderson. Old school, yeah, I believe big time. Three hundred eighty-two games played. Second place is Adam Vinatieri. So I say second place got to be Vinatieri. Yep. And the MLB leader for most games played, Pete Rose. Oh yeah, that one I knew. I forgot about. Not that in one. the Hall of Fame. Won't be in the Hall of Fame, but he definitely. Pete Rose holds. Pete Rose holds three of the biggest MLB records. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we need to get into that. That could be a call out, to be completely honest. But it's a call out to me, like every other week. Yeah. Okay, just let that be known now. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so should Barry Bonds. End of discussion. My shout out also goes to Patrick Marlowe as well for all the reasons you stated, but also, I mean, how had the record for over sixty years? The last time yeah. Gordy Howe played was forty years ago, and of course. You know, he played in those eight games as a Pittsburgh Penguin, which counted for, as I mentioned, 0.45% of his grand total of games played in the NHL. He's also played in 164 games with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but other than that, 1,596 games played with the San Jose Sharks over 21 seasons. So it is a tremendous accomplishment for Patrick Marlowe. The Vegas Golden Knights able to give a great tribute, of course. Gary Bettman going up on the big screen, giving a nice heartfelt uh, thank you and just congratulations. The Golden Knights all shaking his hand after the game and the interview that he had post-game when they asked him what keeps him coming to the rink. And he just said that it's so much fun. And he started to tear up. I started to tear up watching that just because the guy's over 40 years old and he's still enjoying this because it's a kid's game. And it reminds you that, yeah, it's fun to be in the NHL. And this guy who just broke Gordy Howe's record is just having fun out there. And that's what leads to my call out, which also made me so much more upset after watching that and then going online, which I shouldn't have done, and seeing anybody that tried to invalidate him breaking the record, saying the only reason that he's playing is to break the record. First of all, who cares? Second of all, you try remaining in a league for 23 seasons and until you're 42 years old. He has scored. He's going to get his 1,200th point here probably in the next couple weeks. I think he's four shy of that. He is a hockey Hall of Famer. Anybody who argues with that is just literally trying to get their name in headlines. He is a Hockey Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. No, he's not a top 10 player of all time. That's fine. He's still a Hockey Hall of Famer. And to try to just diminish that on the night of or the day after him breaking Gordy Howe's record just makes you look like an idiot to anybody who did that. 
It really does. It's wild stuff because he's only in it for the record. I would be too yeah. if I was that. I, if I'm that close to a record like that, I don't care. I would be too. I'd tell Coach, hey, you're going to play with 13 forwards today because I'm getting one shift in and I'm sitting on the bench the rest of the time. I don't care. I have a big record to break. Our team sucks. What are yeah. we going to do? That's what I want to do because I'm not saying he has a kind of pull in the locker room, but like – it's not that he's not good enough either. Yeah, he's not too. having a great season right now, but at the same time, he's still one of the better players on that team. Yeah, he's only in it for the record. He should be. He should be. Honestly, let's be real. When every player starts their NHL career, they should be in it for that kind of record. They Because that's their ideal. That's their dream. They want to play as long as they can. Mm-hmm. If you can succeed it, that's a big move on your part. Yeah. My, my call out, by the way, also has to do with uh, the Patrick Marlowe hitting this record, but it's a different different version. So if you have anything else to say, say it now. Yeah, I know a big reason. Yeah, it makes sense that the, the record is a big reason he's still playing, but just watch his post-game interview. Why is he still playing the game? Why is he still showing up to the arena? Because it's fun. It's yeah, fun. I bet his kids he want him can. to keep doing it too. He can do it, and it's fun. Okay, end of story. The man teared up when they asked him that. He just said, it's fun, and he started crying. Because it is. He's probably thinking yeah. about the fact that someday he's not going to be able to do it. That's probably why he started tearing up. Because he a loves it that much. A middle-aged man teared up. Yeah. A middle-aged man got, got emotional. It's That's why. That's why he's doing it. So, my call-out still has to do with the Patrick Marlowe games played record. But a different situation. It's a little more fun. I'm calling out whoever the hell stitched his black and gold gloves. <laughs> Did you see the A, the typo, and B, the right but wrong Maple Leafs logo? I did not. See, okay. I, I just barely looked at the picture and I thought it was cool, but uh, I didn't see it the is, typo. It is really cool, and there was a ton of people hyping it up, which they should have. They're awesome gloves to wear, um, but stitched on the gloves, like on the this part. I can't. I don't know what this part of your hand is actually called, the but like the top hand. of your hand, um, you know where the big padding is. Uh, most games, it's written. Most games played in NHL history, seventeen hundred sixty-eighth NHL games. 1768th NHL game games multiple they have the TH and the S on on the one hand yeah that's probably don't want to mess up that one thing but yeah I'm sure he's gonna get those remade but (laughs) yeah I would imagine so but the image used on social media was the typo and the image used whenever he was doing his warm-ups and his practices was the was this set of gloves Mm -hmm. so that's funny uh but also when it the Maple Leafs logo that's on the other hand is it's the right logo. It's the right Maple Leafs logo. It's just not the one he technically wore. Yeah. So the only people that would get upset about that are people from Toronto. Uh, but yeah. accuracy is key here. And then there's the Penguin logo there because, you know, eight, eight games. games. <laughs> eight games. So, yeah, whoever the hell stitched those gloves, uh, calling you out because learn some grammar. Yeah. Le- learn you some grammar. Yeah. I mean, what they could do is they could just get another set of gloves, fix it, send it to him, and put those gloves in the Hockey Hall of Fame with the typo. Yeah. Oh, uh, let's let's also be real. These guys all have enough money. Make make all new sets of gloves for anyone that needs them. Yeah, to be completely honest, it's not that big of a deal for them. It's, it's not. It's just they got called out on it by a lot of people on Twitter and by you now. Yeah, uh, I did notice a lot of people kind of like just let it slide and just said it's a cool moment because it is and i did too on social media wise yeah i totally let it slide because it's awesome um but 
when you look at it, it, it just looks weird. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, season two, episode 40. Horwat, do you have anything else for the fans before we let them go for the last time this week? No, I got nothing else. I'm going on vacation soon, actually. So, <sighs> Jealous. Um, if you don't hear my voice for some reason, you know why. Yep. But I should be back. I should be able to do recordings for... Well, Monday, I don't know if I'll be able to. So we'll see how things go. We'll be we'll in see. touch. We will let everyone know what's up. Yep, for sure. And, and don't worry, if he's not on an episode, we're not canceling Horwat. He will be back. <laughs> but he's just enjoying his time in the sun down in sunny, sunny Florida. I just had a week where I worked three jobs. I need a break. There you go. Well, I need one too coming up. So I, I would like a break as well. But that is going to be it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We hope the Penguins go out and completely crush the New Jersey Devils, kind of take after the New York Rangers' lead from last week. The Penguins are one point behind second place and possible home ice advantage. We'll see you guys next week. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.